Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather for prayer and ordered worship to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather to worship Almighty God. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered this day for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later across the, the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry and leadership in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us come Sunday. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, beloved, our attention this year, this school year, September through May, has been upon prayer, on personal and collective prayer. Prayer is the mind silent before God. Prayer is a certain sitting silent before God. Prayer is the aspiration to think God's thoughts after God. Prayer is the hurt of loneliness become the joy of solitude. As our choir guides us in the Kyrie eleison, may we lift our silent personal prayers of confession this morning. Let us pray. But for the grace of God, we would not be, and but for the grace of God, we could not love, and but for the grace of God, we should not speak, but by God's grace, we live and love and speak. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, 
and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in reading responsibly verses from Psalm 19 with the antiphon. are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. Nothing is hid from its heart. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now please rise as you're willing and able for the reading or the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel.
Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. be seated. Illumination, awareness, warmth, devotion. Behold an 
architecture of prayer. Our attention this year has been upon the theme of prayer, and we have been week by week gathering together in a prayerful spirit. Look back just a few weeks and months whence we have come. We finished our summer series on the beloved community in August, and then Sunday, matriculation Sunday, Labor Day Sunday, International Student Sunday, Alumni Weekend, Bach to Begin, World Communion Sunday, Columbus Day Weekend, Parents Weekend, Reformation Sunday, All Saints Week, Stewardship Sunday, Bach to Continue, Thanksgiving Sunday, and then straightway into Advent and the celebration of Advent. How grateful we are, Marsh Chapel, to you for the gifts of Advent and Christmas you have offered to God and neighbor. Two services of lessons and carols, December 11th and 13th. Two Christmas Eve services on the 24th, Sunday before and Sunday after, and entering the new year all the way through last week and the honoring of the legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., We have been able to sing Christmas carols from December 11th through January 6th, and finally we're leaving them alone for the time. We are very precise in our liturgical celebration here at Marsh, except when we aren't. We're grateful to you for the gifts of Christmas and of this year. Here we are, week by week, attending through these Sundays to prayer itself. Prayer is the basis for the life of faith. Prayer allows us, if you will, to be raised from the dead, particularly in the following way. Often we think of the resurrection as something in the future, and Easter comes and we'll attend so in that way. But in another sense, whenever you are able to transcend today and joyfully, truly enter into a day past, a dead day past, a remembrance of things past, not to go all Marcel Proust on you too quickly. When you can leave the present and enter the past, you have been raised from the dead. That is eternity invading time. You are skating on the pond of eternity. That's why education is such a wonderful thing. It is the glory of education to be able to leave the present for the presence. Oh, we're aware of how important it is in education to develop and acquire skills and abilities, to be able also to study in context, to integrate and to analyze and criticize, to be able to understand our moment. That's education, about 5% of it. 95% of the glory of education is to be able to escape this moment and not be trapped here. January's a good month, but it's not a great month. 2016 is a good year, but it's not a great year. The 21st century is a good century, but it's not, at least not yet, a great century. Education frees you to travel and to move so that you can sit with Amun of Nitria in the desert and look up 
at the stars above or walk with Augustine along the Mediterranean, Augustine whose Latin was beautiful and whose Greek was pathetic, who you can immerse yourself, say you're studying in that vein, in, the, in love with, with uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, with, in grace with Martin Luther, in piety with John Wesley. You can move across the century. You, you're free, you're liberated, you're not chained to one moment. So prayer allows us to sit silent before God and when, by grace, we are transported so to be raised from the dead. Do you pray? It's a personal but a serious question. How do you pray? How shall we pray? Do you know the Lord's Prayer, the 23rd Psalm, the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, the Apostles' Creed, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Here is an architecture for the house of prayer. We recognize the importance of the architects of Corbusier and Mies van der Rohe and Frank Lloyd Wright and all before and after and in between. We especially honor those who are working with space in our own time and place. These spaces, as Churchill said, we shape our spaces and then our spaces shape us. We're aware of the importance of the architecture of this grand nave. It's Gothic structure, a thousand years old and meant to last a thousand years. It's conic stained glass and iconic wood sculpture. It's place in history and in geography. It guides us, but you know, our work is not this sort of architecture only or mainly, is it? We have a, a responsibility for the architecture of prayer The architecture that lasts, counts, is real, that shapes the person, that shapes the soul. So walk with me, if you will, through the architecture of prayer. This is figurative, not literal. Those listening on the radio have every bit as great a benefit as those intrepid winter warriors who are present with us in the sanctuary today. Take a step for a moment into a room, a parlor. It's a beautiful, large, spacious, well-lit parlor. Glass to the side, glass above. It lets the sun dapple down in when there is such sun. And when there isn't, it allows a connection with the out-of-doors. It's sort of being outdoors. It's a parlor. Prayer illumines the imagination by the beauty of God. One spot in the architecture of prayer. This is yours, by the way, for the receiving. There's no cost here. This uh, square footage cost, by the way, is infinitesimal compared to what you might find in the city of Boston. This is for you. This is grace given. A parlor. You may need this as an undergraduate when you discover perhaps that you've made a mistake or one mistake or your, world, your first big mistake. Take it from those of us who have been around. You're not alone. You'll make it through. And one way is to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, an open space. St. Luke opens the gospel. His is an imaginative illumination. He follows Mark at every point, but 
You know, Luke opens, you've already seen that with the shepherds at Christmas. Luke adds almost 10 chapters, chapter 9 to chapter 18 later on. And wherever Mark says simply, as Mark does today, Jesus went to his home country, he spoke at the synagogue, he was ill-received. That's all she wrote, or he wrote. Luke thinks there's probably more to that story. So he adds or knows or knows another source or in dream or in meditation. He gives us Jesus in the pulpit, standing to read from the scroll of Isaiah chapter 61 with a little bit from verse 58. And what does this passage recall for us? It recalls the Jubilee year, which was a great hope in Israel that there would be a time every seven or every 49 years when all goods and all assets would be redistributed and everyone once again would be equal on the same playing field. I wonder which of our presidential candidates would affirm that and which not. I'll have to think about that before next week. It wasn't ever actually practiced, but Luke keeps before us that the gospel is the deliverance of those in hurt. He opens things where Mark says a little Luke says more. He writes the gospel by adding to the gospel. You know, you may not be sure whether you're theist or atheist, Gnostic or agnostic. You may think that the theists say too much and the atheists say too little, that the theists know too much and the atheists know, know too little. But in this parlor of illumined imagination, you know, you are confronted in prayer by mystery. In lumine tuo videbimus lumen. In thy light we see light. And wherever your description or self-description of your theology lands, you are present to a fathomless, deep, lasting Mystery. In that way, we're hardly any farther ahead than the prophets of the 8th century or Paul in Corinth and writing to the Corinthians or Luke in the 4th chapter. Here is a, a parlor for you in prayer. Step along. We'll go into the second room. This is smaller and it's darker and it's a library and it has shelves, one or 50. You may decorate it as you choose. It has the works of Shakespeare, for sure, and the Bible itself. That is, the life and the human experience of the race before us in triumph and in tragedy. We'll provide you a pen and a pad because in this parlor, excuse me, in this library, you may want to take a moment with a painting to the left and a lamp to the right to note where in the last few days, weeks, months, years, things haven't gone quite right. You may find that uh, some form of connectivity is actually found in being disconnected. You may recognize in this kind of meditation, in this quiet closet, that the world does not revolve around your inbox. You may decide that surfing is really about ten toes and not ten fingers, that you are ready for a receptivity to a, a certain sitting silent before God. You may recall the grammar of compunction and the language of contrition and the syntax 
of confession and the alphabet of forgiveness. What an awful thing would be in this world if we didn't have a second chance. Here in the library, if you will, in this quiet closet of prayer, we can begin to shape ourselves. This is space given to you. It's yours without charge. Our friend Ed McClure encourages us to speak more with the language of conciliation than of confrontation. And in the recent beautiful new film, Carol, the protagonist at a turning point, stands. She happens to be in a library and says, I'm no good to anyone if I cut against my own grain. We'll add in our own footnote to Dean Thurman. A parlor for illumination, a library for confession and awareness. Step for a moment further. We're going to go down the hall just a bit. Here is a sprightly room that is guided by and identified by a hearth, a big, beautiful fireplace. And at the end of the den, you can feel the warmth of the fireplace. It feels kind of nice here in this uh, chapel today to feel that warmth. There is a log crackling, a log or two, and there is a scent of wood smoke. And like those for millennia ahead of us, we gaze into the warmth of the fireplace. To prayer, to prayer is to be warmed by the love of God, the gospel itself. And for that, you need a little bit of a, a den. Miguel de Unamuno, we remembered him Monday outside in the chilly cold as we gathered on the plaza, said, warmth, warmth, warmth. We are dying of cold, not of darkness. It is not the night that kills. It is the frost. It is not the night of ignorance that kills. It is the frost of hatred. It is not the night of unknowing that kills. It is the frost of unloving. Warmth, warmth, warmth. We are dying of cold, not of darkness. It is not the night that kills. It is the frost. Some of you were present later that day when the poet laureate for the United States, Juan Herrera, spoke of his upbringing in San Diego. Maybe it was the warmth of his voice. Maybe it was the warmth of his poetry. Maybe it was the warmth of his provenance from Southern California, where it's always 72 degrees and sunny. He spoke to us about being a third grader and his teacher, Mrs. Sampson. He spoke very little English, but she heard him in the playground and heard his voice. And toward the end of that year, she said, John, John, come forward, John. And he turned to his friend and said, que dice, que dice? John, you have a beautiful voice. John, your voice is beautiful. John, you have a beautiful voice. Come forward and you sing for us. So Mrs. Sampson called him forward. And his voice began to develop. He sang three blind mice, three blind mice. You have a beautiful voice. You have a beautiful voice. Warmth, warmth, warmth. It's not ignorance. It's hatred. It's not unknowing. It's unloving. Finally, that kills. This is the room of the gospel itself. Did you notice in Luke today, yes, Luke brings us a word of the prophets, but you know, the prophetic is a part of the gospel, but not the heart of the gospel. 
The prophetic tradition is a part of the gospel, but it is not the whole or the heart of the gospel. Says Luke here, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is, Luke, in this passage and others, is announcing for us not what we will do, but what God has done. Not the work that continues, and there's plenty of it for sure, but the divine work already done for us. The heavy lifting, the promises kept, already given to us in Jesus Christ. In Christ, God was God was in Christ reconciling the world to God's self. We are gathered for a moment in this den to be reminded. Paul in Corinthians does the same. He doesn't encourage us or admonish us to become a body. He says, you are the body of Christ. An architecture of prayer, a parlor for illumination, a library for confession, a den for the warming of the gospel, and we'll conclude in the kitchen. Why is it that whatever kind of party you have, before the end of the evening, everyone is in the kitchen? You can put your food wherever you want, your refreshments wherever you want, your entertainment and music and poetry wherever you want, but by the end of the evening, everyone is gathered together in the kitchen because the kitchen is a place of devotion. It's a place of gathered faith working through love. What dear memories I have of my grandfather following the meal, standing at the sink and washing while others wiped and stored. This is a place where prayer touches ground in the life and work of the individual and of our life and of our work. Janet Malcolm, a journalist writing recently, was working at shifting her profession as we all have responsibility to bring healing to our own walks of life, saying that so often in journalism, the necessity of the text takes precedence over the feeling of the person. Or Marcel Proust warning us about how we need to care for our own health. He said, illness is our greatest doctor. Kindness and knowledge, we make promises to them. Pain, we obey. We learn in devotion the practice of the disciplines. Or in this community, in this community we continue to name just one aspect of our life together. To be a part of building a college and community and city in which the freedom and the growth and the independence of emerging young adults are celebrated, but also, and more so, their privacy, their security, and their safety so that we acknowledge all of the wonders of life but we also keep before us and use the language of morality and of virtue and of respect and of a quaint phrase from the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. All of this architecture is presented to you with no cost as a part of the grace of God itself. Do you pray? How do you pray? How shall we pray? There there will come a day when you need an open parlor for the illumination of your imagination, when you need a quiet closet 
for confession and contrition, when you need the warmth of a fireplace in a comfortable den to hear the gospel, when you need the convivial collaboration of the process of work and the devotion to the purposes of God all around us. Prayer illumines the imagination by the beauty of God in the parlor. Prayer quickens the conscience by the holiness of God in the library. Prayer warms the heart by the love of God in the den. Prayer devotes the will to the purposes of God in the kitchen. Though what I dream and what I do in my weekdays are always two, help me, oppressed by things undone, O thou whose deeds and dreams are one. Dear friends, as we turn our hearts and minds to prayer, I invite you to either remain standing, be seated, kneel, or come to the communion rail according to your tradition as we join together in our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord.
Today, in the midst of the week of prayer for Christian unity, we are grateful to the World Council of Churches, the Pontifical Council for Christian Unity, and the Ecumenical Community of Latvia for guiding our prayers this morning. As God's children, aware of our dignity and mission, let us raise our prayers and affirm our desire to be a holy people of God. Loving God, transform our hearts, our families, our communities, and our society. Make all your people holy and one in Christ. Water of life, quench the thirst that exists in our society, the thirst for dignity, for love, for communion, and holiness. Make all your people holy and one in Christ. Holy Spirit, Spirit of joy and peace, heal the divisions caused by our misuse of power and money, and reconcile us across different cultures and languages. Unite us as God's children. Trinity of love, lead us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Make all your people holy and one in Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, we are made one with you in baptism, and therefore we unite our prayers to yours in the words you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbors so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. As the semester has now started, we note that our children's ministry has also recommenced, and children are invited to follow Miss Jamie Dingus out uh, through the back doors as we sing our final hymn this morning. Also following the service today, you are invited to join us downstairs in Robinson Chapel immediately following for the baptism of Brody McDonald. There are still spots open for spiritual paint night on Friday evening. Please see Miss Jessica Chica uh, following the service about that. As always, keep an eye to the Marsh Chapel website at bu.edu chapel for all of our upcoming services and activities, along with the opportunity for online giving. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to edit, meditate upon Edward Elgar's setting, Light of the World. Now walk in light, love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Light of the world, we gather in thanks and praise on this sun-dappled morning. Bless these gifts which we offer, the first fruits of our labor, the skills and talents we possess, our time, our lives, and our very selves. Put them and us to your service in the world as you will. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, who we call friend. Amen. Lord, support us all the day long of this troublous life until the shadows lengthen, the evening comes, the busy world is hushed, the fever of life is over, and our work is done. 
Then grant us, we pray, a safe rest, a happy lodging, and peace at the last through Christ our Lord.